The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Chiefs Kingdom, welcome in to the latest episode of the AP Draft Talk podcast on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. Appreciate you joining us on what is a weird day to be a Chiefs fan, a weird week to be a Chiefs fan. Um, and, and of course, to break this all down, we got to bring the Out of Structure podcast duo back together. Uh, I'm Ron Cop Jr., the lead analyst at Arrowhead Pride. And to join me today on the AP Draft Talk podcast, we've been rotating guests to uh, to bring on here. But Stags, Matt Stagner, senior contributor at Arrowhead Pride. Uh, it has been a weird week. I just mentioned it. Um, I'm still in, in, a, in a state of shock. How are you feeling um, after what is a, has been a weird week? You know, a lot, a lot of doom scrolling, a lot of uh, justification you know, and, uh, you know, really trying to look forward and see where they go from here, I think has been kind of my, my take from, from the moment they, they announced that this was a possibility. You just had to assume it was going to happen. And then that there was a plan in place. And then now I'm just, I'm pumped to see the plan play out. That's the thing, man. In our job, we are fans, but at the same time, it, it makes our job a little more fun when there's when there's a little more, uh, you know, there's there's a little more uncertainty. We kind of have to think through what they're going to do instead of just saying, hey, they got all these guys. They're going to win, blah, 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 because the Chiefs have kind of made it easy to cover uh, over the last few years. But not now. It is definitely not easy this offseason. Um, yeah, it, it, I'm obviously referring to this week, the Chiefs trading away. Star receiver Tyree Kill. Oh my gosh, it still gives me uh, knots in my stomach. The fact that that happened, uh, getting that notification on Tuesday, Wednesday, Wednesday, yes, Wednesday, um, was not fun. But Chiefs got a few picks back: the 29th overall pick, the 50th overall pick, a fourth rounder, another fourth rounder, and a sixth rounder next year. But the first three picks I mentioned are this year. Um, so yeah, I, the chiefs don't have Tyreek Hill anymore. And now they have a bunch of draft picks. Um, Sags, when you first heard that, what was your initial reaction? You, you had a lot, we all, we all tweeted a lot of things. Um, was there any, was there anything that really, uh, you know, your, your initial reaction that you really, um, you know, picked up on, uh, and you still feel strongly about now? Yeah. After the initial shock, we, cause this is a player that's been pretty foundational to this team and the, the two have been intertwined through a lot of stuff in the past. So it is. It was shocking to see such a, a quick and seemingly unceremonious divorce, and especially in the backdrop of what's going on in the AFC West, you've got every team in the division making a huge addition, and the Chiefs respond by making a huge subtraction. 
and, and that really just you know on the surface doesn't make a lot of sense it, it left all of us kind of wondering you know what what happened and, and what's going on but my thoughts kind of immediately turned to like i said where do they go from here and, and what opportunities what silver linings can you take from it that's just kind of the way i think in general anyway so my first thought about the offense was this offense struggled way more than it should have, especially in 2021 through long periods of time. And a lot of that was, and we knew this problem had, has been happening for years is that all of the focus of the offense and the defense is on Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. Uh, and nobody else was really there to step up. So you don't solve that problem by getting rid of Tyreek Hill. I'm not, I'm not trying to make that point. That is not a, that is not a solution to that problem is to take one of your best players and, and get rid of them uh, just so you can spread the ball around more. But I, I do think as a, as a result of this trade, they're going to be able to rebalance their roster. They're going to be able to change their offense in a way that maybe it's less predictable. Maybe there's more contributors and, and there's not so much focus on one or two players so that if you stop them, you can stop the offense, that the offense is more dynamic, it's more fluid, less predictable. And so I think, to me, if the Chiefs are able to capitalize on the opportunity that they have with the assets that they have now, then that's what they're going to build towards, a more balanced roster, a more diverse offense uh, with a number of guys uh, that can make plays, that have some upside and, and so I'm excited about the prospects of that, even not being excited about losing a, a guy who's been just so much fun to watch. Yeah, I tweeted it out. It does seem like it's it's a receiver by committee at this point. We'll talk about the Chiefs' newest signing um, here in a second. But, no, you mentioned it. You know, the offense is going to have to evolve without Tyreek. I mean, the, having a Tyreek Hill type of player has made the offense what it has been um, in the Mahomes era. You know, you, you just – just in terms of having a player you can throw to five yards down the, the field and all of a sudden he's, he's you know, making two people miss and getting it 20 yards. Um, you just you don't have players like that. And that's why they were so able to emphasize the RPO game, because, you know, if it's just if they can just get a little bit of leverage, you know, the guy that's supposed to be covering Hill can just, you know, sneak in a little bit to defend the run just for a second. Hill has that little bit of step. It could turn into 15, 20 yards, that kind of thing. So they will have to evolve the offense. But. I'm, I, I let you go first on the take because you know you're the sound, you're the voice of reason, you're the senior contributor. Um, I am not as as reasonable about this, and 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 maybe maybe reasonable is not the right word because I do think there's there's plenty of reason to be upset with the Chiefs trading away Tyreek Hill. I I I don't think I will ever truly accept that it was the right move, that it was you know uh, the move that had to happen, or that you know we should just be okay with the fact that the Chiefs don't have a guy that was on a pace that we've never seen, you know, we're, we're rare that we've, it's rarely been seen in NFL history, the pace he was on in terms of total touchdowns, you know, just yardage in general. And he's 28 years old. You know, he's not 30, 31, 32 years old. He will be at the end of a potential, this potential deal, but I still think Tyreek skills, he's, he's improved as an overall receiver. He's not just a speed guy anymore. I think he was worth whatever deal needed to happen. Now, that was my initial reaction, right? That the Chiefs kind of blew this. Oh, they needed to get this done. Well, I don't think it's that simple. And I think I think we all have kind of understood that by now. We've seen Tyreek's press conference in Miami. It, it was all about the money. And, and I think Tyreek's happy in Miami. And I, and I do think that has something to do with this in terms of, you know, I think Veach 
wanted to offer him, you know, Veach offered him what he did. There was a line that they didn't want to cross. In my opinion, if it was that, if it was, you know, two, three million or whatever, you know, if it's a, if it's a pretty thin margin, you got to get that done. But at the same time, maybe there was this where Hill was just a little more motivated to get out, um, you know, and kind of, you know, go play in a place like Miami. I don't know. It just does seem like Hill was maybe a little more motivated than we think to, you know, to to maybe leave the situation, which is kind of crazy to say, but I don't know, Stags. I want your take on kind of just who is to maybe blame a little more for this. It, it, do we do we put a lot more blame on the Chiefs organization for not securing a player like him, or do we kind of, you know, do you side with Tyreek on this, or do you blame a little Tyreek for not? I don't know. What do you think? I'm I'm rambling now. What do you think? No, it's tough because there's always two sides to this, and there's a lot that we won't know about how the negotiations went down. And we know who represents Tyreek Hill, and we know he has a certain right. reputation around the league, right? And he's he's known for getting his guys paid at all costs. And and I think – and he's come out. There's been a lot of Rosenhaus interviews in the last day uh, talking about what happened here. And I think they were determined to to, to break the market, to set the market, to be the – you know, uh, to be able to, to go out and show everybody that they had the, the top deal. And Rosenhaus explicitly said that. He said, we went to the Chiefs and we said – we want to beat the Devontae Adams deal by every metric. You know, and, and if there was a line somewhere that the organization wasn't going to cross, and that's where Tyreek and his representation were, and they decided that he wasn't going to play under his old contract for another year, then I don't blame yeah. the Chiefs for getting what they can at, at that situation. A lot of people are saying, well, you should have locked him up sooner, or you should have just kept him and made him play out on called his bluff and made him play out on that deal. But, you know, it takes two to sign a contract and, and yep. there's no reason for a guy like Tyreek Hill to sign that contract um, yep. early. He wants to, you want to wait and maximize value. In fact, he probably would have had a lot of reasons to wait another year, you yep. know, to, to, uh, to hold out, to do whatever you have to do and get that when the cap goes up next year and, and capitalize on that. So, there was no – I don't blame them for not signing him up until now. I don't blame them for getting what they could when they saw that he was out the door. I don't think Tyreek wanted to leave necessarily, but he wanted the money. He yeah. obviously wanted the money. He said that that's, that's what it was. Yeah. And, when, and when the team drew a line in the sand and said, You're not gonna, we're not going to do that, and they said, you can go seek a trade, as soon as they said that, I think he immediately said Miami. And that's where he wanted to go. But I don't think he was trying to go to Miami before that point. That's just the way I, I perceive it. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's clear because I think if Veach really thought there was a possibility he had to trade Tyreek, I would imagine maybe he wants to do that before free agency. But at the same time, you know, w- with the signings we've seen, does that you know do we know that that Tyreek you know saving that money would have really affected anything? You know, because the whole reason and and we talked about this in the AP Slack chat over and over, but the whole reason this offseason is is going this way is, is it appears that the chiefs really want to get younger and cheaper. They really want to emphasize it. They're, they're not messing around in terms of, you know, we're not bringing a, a, a guy like Ty, Tyron Matthew back, you know, we're not going to sign, you know, they weren't in on any of the veteran edge rushers, even though it would have been really nice to get a guy like Chandler Jones or one of those guys. Um, so it is interesting, but no, back to the Tyreek thing, you know, it, it does make me think that, that the chiefs are smart. They, they know they could probably tell, whether they could probably get away with, hey, we're gonna we're gonna call your bluff and make you play this year, or whether that was, you know, whether how serious Tyreek was, I guess, about that. 
Tyreek must have made it pretty clear that it was just no way. Like he he's not gonna mess around. Like he wants to get paid. And so good for him if he if he's that, you know, if he wants to be, you know, if it's that important to him, which hey, that's fine. It's it's I, I don't blame you at all for getting as much as you can, obviously. I really don't. I would blame the Chiefs more for not getting you that bag, but you know, at the same time, like you mentioned, Drew Rosenhaus, he's not dumb. He's not going to, he, he knows what to do. He's not going to sign that contract really. He'd be a bad agent if he did. So it kind of just did all fall into place a little, you know, in, the, in a bad situation for the Chiefs a little bit. Um, you know, they don't want to get rid of him. But at the same time, if it all comes to this, they got a lot, a big haul back. So that's all you can ask for. And and they're doing their best to, uh, to you know, move on and, and get, you know, going past the Tyreek era. We, we kind of talked yeah. about it, but I think this is a good way to, you know, we've talked about, the second phase of Mahomes' career, maybe is—is is that what we're entering, Sags? Do you think that is that is what's happening here? <clears throat> yeah, I, I think they had a plan in place, and they knew that this was a possibility. And if this was the if this was the way it was going to go, then they had X, Y, and Z that would come after it. And and the fact that they didn't restructure Mahomes in retrospect could have had something to do with the fact that they they thought it might go this direction, and that they would be able to make the moves that they need to make once this trade happened as opposed to once Mahomes' deal was restructured. So looking back, I don't think the I don't think this happened in the course of a day. I don't think the Chiefs were yeah. surprised by it. I don't think they were caught off guard or or whatever. I think that there was a plan in place and now they executed and and really that's where this where the, this all comes down to now. It doesn't matter who's to blame. It doesn't matter whether yeah. who won the trade or whatever. Now it matters, can they execute on plan B? Can they execute with the draft picks that they got, with the the cap space they have, with the ability to restructure their roster in a way that is sustainable long-term and maybe not as top-heavy as they have been in the past? Maybe that's part of of their goals, and it appears to be based on the free agent signings that they're making, is they're they're trying to avoid bad contracts with old players that are not durable. You mentioned there that they don't want to give, you know, bad contracts out to older people like, yeah, older players like, yeah, that's that's fair. And I do think you can make the argument that, you know, as good as Tyreek's been as 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 well as he's played through injuries like he does suffer some injuries. He does do, you know, get banged up quite a bit. And, you know, as you get older, it's not going to be as easy to to play through, obviously. And, and that hampers your speed. And that's obviously his biggest thing. So, you know, the Chiefs are probably being pretty proactive about it, but. I'm not going to agree with it. I'm never going to, you know, the Marcus Peters trade was, was very hard. Like it, it's kind of a similar feeling. Although I, I do, I did, I do, I did see the vision for why they traded Peters uh, more than here, in my opinion. Um, but it's just some of these trades, man, they just, they stick with you. And I don't think I'll ever get over this, but that is the thing. They did trade him away. It's over. We're moving on. And the way they moved on quickly here, and it actually, as soon as we started hearing about Tyreek Hill, we started hearing about this player. It came to fruition. They signed Marquez Valdez-Scantling, the former Green Bay Packers wide receiver, was the second or third receiver, depending on, you know, uh, Alan Lazard, um, you know, in Green Bay, along with Devontae Adams. But now he's in Kansas City on a three-year deal uh, for $30 million, which actually it's up to $36 million, depending on, you know, if that's the maximum of it. $18 million guaranteed. So actually it basically turns into a, a two-year $18 million deal when it comes down to it, but stags now we're moving on, right? MVS, the first big signing. What was your first reaction to, to getting him in house? So my first thought was you're obviously not going to replace a guy like Tyreek Hill one-to-one Tyreek Hill does so many different things on the football field that are unique 
what's unique about him is that he can do all of those things. He he could be the best punt returner and kick returner in the league if he wanted to do that. Uh, he's he's the best uh, in that Debo Samuel type role, which he was hinting that he might get to do some of that in Miami. By the way, um, he's the best yak guy. He's the best deep threat. He's in and he's become a phenomenal route runner. So you're not going to be able to replace him one to one at this point. So what you what you try to do now is elevate the entire room, and you try to find a host of number a host of guys that can do at least one of the things that he could do for you. So MVS is a guy that is a pure deep threat at this point in his career. He's tall, long, and, and extremely fast. His yards per catch uh, has been uh, amongst the best in the league. You know, he's had years of 20 yards a catch average, um, which we haven't seen since McColl's rookie year. And so this is a, a player that can take the top of the, off the defense. He can be that deep threat, vertical threat, um, and maybe with his size can do a couple things that maybe weren't Tyreek Hill's strength. Tyreek Hill, to his credit for his size, was phenomenal at jump balls, but there were some scenarios where he just got outsized, and and, and MVS is not going to be outsized in the same way. Uh, so I think in that one specific aspect, he fits that role. Now they got to find a host of other guys to, to fill the other roles and, and to elevate the entire room to pick up the slack for, for Hill. But I like the signing on the surface. I'm not worried about the money. I think they, they paid him as an ascending player who had a, a strong market for his services. I feel like the league thinks highly of this guy, and they think that there's more good to come out of him than what we've seen before. So I, I, think, I think he's, at worst, a better Demarcus Robinson you know, for that role, someone who can take a lot of snaps and can get deep, uh, get open deep, and maybe give you the 500 yards and four touchdown type performances in a season. Uh, at best, you know, he he's got some upside. He can do he can do more than that, uh, and and maybe he's just scratching the surface of of his career. So I I think he's somebody that that fits the room well and can bring that one aspect of what what Hill used to do. Yeah, no, exactly. I, I agree with that. I, I you broke it down honestly very well. And and I will say, you know, money wise, in a vacuum, I do think this might be a little more than I would I would pay a guy like MBS. But at the same time, I guess the receiver market, I guess this might be fair, but I'm not I, I'm fine with paying him this, even if I do think it might be a little, you know, in a vacuum, like I said. With where the Chiefs are at right now, you know, you got the money. It's not a big commitment. You might as well make the move. And like you said, he brings that deep threat ability. Um, yeah, I really like his size. You know, I did find a, a, a tweet, though, with some stats that, that shows you kind of where he is at as a receiver, um, what how he wins. So, um, I, I honestly, I copied and pasted, but I didn't see who uh, tweeted it. But some notable receivers and where they rank in catch rate versus man coverage out of 63 qualified wide receivers. Marcus Valdez-Gantling ranked 63rd with a 39.6% um, catch rate against man coverage. So, All right. So, yeah. But is there some missing context to that, though? When I saw that same tweet and I was wondering, and I think some others who had responded to this to say, all right, if you've got a guy that's only catching deep passes, his catch rate is not going to be that high because quarterback's accuracy on deep balls is not that great, even if it's Aaron Rodgers. The percentage, those are lower percentage passes in, in – and if that's all he did, then obviously he's going to have a lower percentage. I, the, I've seen a couple of people complain that this guy has too many drops or has bad hands or whatever, but he was not registered with a drop at all in 2021. 
Uh, it, you know, again, depending on who you ask, I think I've seen some one source that said he had one drop for the whole season. One said he had zero on 55 plus targets. So is there a concern about his hands here or is it just a, a fluky stat based on his usage? Well, you mentioned no drops in 2021 and 2020, according to PFF, which PFF did have him at zero drops in 2020, he had 14 drops uh, or sorry, uh, 14% of his targets were dropped. It was seven drops total. Um, but 14% is a very high rate. Um, you know, a double digit rate is very high, obviously, but no, I, like you said, where he's an ascending player. So obviously he's, he's gotten better every year. So you can make the argument that, you know, he's progressed and, and his hands have gotten better. Um, I, I, you know, I can tell you don't really believe that, but it's, it's one of those things where I do think he's a, uh, he's a limited player. He's not going to be your number one receiver at any point in time. Uh, and in fact, I, I think he slots in below Juju, on this team's uh, wide receiver roster going forward. Of course, yeah. And, and they still have a, a a hole at number one receiver, even with those two guys on board. But I think you he's better than the Chiefs have had at that number three spot. Oh, of course. Uh, I was an advocate for bringing back a, a Byron Pringle. Um, I don't know that – I think those two are at least equal, as if, if not uh, – and, and MVS is a better deep threat than, obviously, than Pringle was. So – I think there's a, a case to be made that he's better than any receiver the Chiefs had on the roster last year, not named Tyreek Hill, and he's going to be the second best receiver they have on the roster right now going into the draft and, and whatever other moves they can make. But he certainly does not end the conversation of the of the replacement of Tyreek Hill. No, and but here's the thing, you know, when you think about it, and we all think the Chiefs, we'll talk about it here soon, but we all think the Chiefs are going to at least try to invest in receiver in the draft depending on who falls to them and stuff i mean if they pick a receiver high enough and he impresses in camp all of a sudden mvs is is your fourth passing option or even your fifth passing option let's say your fourth wide receiver depending on you know how they how it all shakes out obviously it it, it is it is one of those things where he's he's not going to be playing a very prominent role unless obviously there's injuries and everything um but he's going to be playing an important role and, and mm-hmm. prominent in terms of volume but He's going to play a very important role. Andy, it, they obviously really like him, which which tells you all you need to know. I mean, if Andy really likes the guy, he knows how, to, how he's going to use him. So it will be interesting, but I don't know. I just I just wasn't very excited about it. Um, it's not supposed to be an exciting signing. Like, we're, we're no. talking about it. It's not, it's not a wide receiver, too. But it is, it is just – I was just surprised to see the number, but I, I, I have gotten to the point where it's just it, – it'll be interesting to see. So Yeah, in, in retrospect, you – I would have felt better if Juju Smith-Schuster got this contract and he got Juju's contract. I think I think that would have right. been a that you would have felt better about that. I, I think Juju is a guy that I want here long term that I think is uh, vastly underrated and I think he's perfect for this offense. Uh, I think he's going to perform really really well here, especially if they're able to add a number one receiver above and beyond him. So so yeah, I could see where the the that's just feels a little bit out of whack from a compensation perspective. But it, but again, I think there was just a bigger market for MVS's services, and, and he yeah. could command that. And so the market is what it is. If you want the guy, you pay him. And there's probably the, the case that we're all just, you know, maybe there's this narrative about a guy that he's just a deep threat, so everyone in their head is like, oh, well, he's just that one-dimensional guy when, you know, and maybe he's just utilized that way, we, you know, like you're saying, you know, maybe if he's utilized in a different way, maybe his stats look better. Maybe he has a, you know, so we'll see that. We, we will see. Although I do think the chiefs will be primarily using him as a deep threat, but MVS is in town. 
He, I doubt he's going to be the last free agent signing stags. We got uh, some visits coming up from former Tampa Bay Buccaneers running back Ronald Jones. Uh, obviously, two we saw today, Field Yates reported that San Francisco 49ers edge rusher, a former Oakland Raiders draft pick, Arden Key, the edge rusher, although he can rush from the inside as well at times. Uh, he is on a visit. I really like that, the idea of him. Other free agents, we've, we've heard a link to Stephon Gilmore. Uh, cornerback so that's that's always interesting any of those names off uh you know those free agent names any of those names really intrigue you as someone that you'd really like to see them bring in yeah frankly most of those uh names right? I'm, I'm interested in and I, and I think this team has had a history of making sure that they don't go into the draft with a bunch of really obvious needs they're gonna add players you're not gonna know exactly where they're gonna go in the draft they don't want to to telegraph that plus you don't want to put yourself in a position where if the board falls a strange way on draft night that you're in trouble. So I do expect that they're going to fill out the roster. They're going to fill out some defensive ends, um, and, and that's a big hole right now. They're going to have to add a good cornerback. Uh, they're going to add another wide receiver probably before the draft as well. And so Ronald Jones, I could take or leave. I think he's a player that is uh, – he's explosive and he can bring something to the offense. Uh, you know, he's probably – along the, the lines of a Jarek McKinnon in my mind. So I think, you know, one of those two guys uh, coming in would be perfectly fine with me. I thought I saw some hint from Daryl Williams on Twitter that, that maybe he was coming back. I haven't seen anything official on that, but there was just a, a tweet from him that made it seem like like he was uh, uh, celebrating or, or uh, uh, and it was a highlight of him in his Chiefs jersey. So it wasn't like he was celebrating a, a different team contract. So, I could see they're definitely going to add another running back or two. If they bring in both of those guys, the room is pretty well set. If they bring in at least one of those guys, then at least you know going into the draft that they've got three solid running backs on the roster and they could use a fourth, but they don't have to have one. So I'm, I'm good with adding a running back, whether it's him or somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like Jones. I actually, you know, it, it was definitely a bad comp um, and I admit it, but in the draft process, I, he just ran kind of like Jamal Charles to me, just had his style of running. So I kind of made that comparison. Uh, obviously, nowhere near you weren't, the same player. You weren't the only one that made that comparison. Yeah. I think that, I think, I think that was out, that comp was out there. But he does have a little bit of that breakaway ability. Yeah. He hasn't had a great pro career so far. And, and you know, he's had fumbling issues and, and other stuff that have happened. So, you know, he, he's not going to be a, uh, you know, solve all your problems kind of back. But it, in a tandem with with uh, CEH and others, I, I think he'd be he'd be a good addition. Definitely Arden Key, I think, is one of those guys. After that first tier of pass rushers was gone, I think he was somebody that a lot of us had said, "Hey, we'd be interested in, in him." Um, fits the Spagnolo defense pretty well. Had yeah. six and a half sacks last year, so I think that's a guy that, that we got to feel pretty good that they're looking at. Yeah, Key, in in my opinion, would be kind of what we all hoped Taco Charlton was going to be, where he's just this kind of specialized rusher where we're not really worried about him playing early downs. You don't really need him to. You have the other players to kind of fill those snaps. But when you really need a fresh, uh, you know, guy that's going to come off the edge, the thing I've always liked about Key is he does, you know, there's there's those guys who just have the bend. You know, you can't teach it. They, they can just, you know, they can bend their ankles. They can really dip around a guy. Key has that. Um, I'm not really sure why he hasn't been, you know, working out in the NFL where he's, you know, a, a more sought after commodity. But, hey, I, I've seen enough from him to where I'd be excited about picking him up. Another one, though, real quick, LaVisca Chenault has been uh, rumored to the Chiefs as well. Um, 
oh shoot, I can't remember his name on Twitter. Jordan Schultz. Jordan Schultz. He he has good information a lot of times on Twitter. He linked the Chiefs to possibly trading for the 23-year-old LaVisca Chenault, the receiver from Jacksonville. Um, I I I'm I'd be intrigued by that stags, and I and I think a lot of us at AP would be um if we you know I think we've we've come down to maybe a fourth a fourth rounder maybe being the fair compensation. I don't know. Do you agree with that? And then what are just takes on maybe getting him in the offense? Yeah, fourth or later, I think would be would be great for a player like him. Um, he's not a number one receiver, so you look at the trades that have happened for wide receivers so far. You know, he's definitely not you know, a first round trade or a first and a second, like uh, Tyreek Hill was or Devontae Adam was. But you look at Amari Cooper move for basically a fifth. Uh, this is a player that's not on that level yet either, but has tremendous upside. So if you can get him for a fourth round pick or later for as young a player as he is, he's explosive. He's versatile. You can play him at running back. You, you can play yeah. him at receiver. Um, he can, he can get a, a ton of yards after catch. He has just amazing contact balance, which I think is is a very important trait for all ball carriers, for, for receivers and, and running backs, um, to be able to take a hit, bounce off of it, and keep keep your balance, keep your feet, and keep going. Uh, he's, he's shown the ability to do that in his career so far. I don't know why a team would be willing to get rid of him at this point, uh, but it's pretty clear that he's available. He's been linked to a lot of different teams in trade, including the Chiefs, as you mentioned. Nate Taylor, the athletic, also mentioned him as a possibility to continue to round out the room. Again, if you're building your your wide receiver room, some people say like a basketball team, like each, each, you've got your one through five, you all your different roles. Uh, he's he's going to play a very different role from what MVS is going to play. Uh, he's actually maybe – he can do a lot of things that McCole Hardman can do uh, but but does them in a different way. I don't know if that makes sense to you yeah. or not. But I think you can I think you can find a way to use all of those guys in different ways uh, that can create a lot of mismatches and a lot of uh, a lot of excitement on offense. So I'd be I'd be really excited about. No, that. I totally agree with you in the fact that yeah, he's this he's this kind of gadgety. You can use him in a gadgety way. I do think he has you know the talent and the upside to maybe become you know a legitimate receiver, not someone we just consider a gadget player. Um, but yeah. He, in my opinion, he could be kind of what the Falcons use Cordero Patterson as, uh, where you know he can kind of fill a void at running back and receivers. Uh, so you're not necessarily you know needing to maybe pick up another running back or pick up another receiver, but that also messes with defenses when you have a personnel and they can't tell. Oh, is this guy going to be a running back or receiver? If it's that actually, you know, where they're mixing it up that much. That does mess with defenses. So I could see why Andy would would like uh, bringing in a guy like that. So. It'll be interesting to see if the Chiefs do that. Stay tuned on that. We'll obviously, you know, that might that might deserve an emergency pod. You, you think, Stags? I don't know. It, 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 if if MBS didn't get an emergency pod, I don't know if LaVisca Chenault will, but I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, I, I don't think so. But, again, this is, a, this is a process here. There's going to be a lot of guys coming in and out, and I think that's a uh, that would be a really good addition and something to look forward to. And it fits this pattern. You've got a young player yeah. with upside – speed, athleticism, and a reasonable contract. I mean, he really checks all those boxes. If they can get him for a reasonable draft compensation, which they now have plenty of to, to give away, I will almost always vote for trading day three picks for players on their rookie contracts. 
if you if you think you've got some upside there and you can prime away for a day three pick, I am almost always going to be in favor of that. So fourth round or after, even if it takes a couple late round picks, perfectly fine with that for a player like LaVisca Chanel. Again, we from there forward, you start looking at the draft. I think you've got probably three or four decent additions here, plus they'll fill out the rest of the roster. And then, then what do you do with all this draft compensation? What do you do with all these picks, Ryan? Exactly. Great transition, professional transition. We're going to get into what we what we do on this show is talk about the draft right after this break. Stay with us here on the AP Podcast Network. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G Podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back here on the AP Draft Talk podcast, coming to you weekly, talking about everything has to do with the Chiefs draft this year, the 2022 NFL draft. Talk a lot of free agency, obviously, as Chiefs fans. There's a lot to talk about um, with what's going on right now, but now we're going to transition to draft. This is, what, this is what I bring people on for. I brought everyone on to share their mock drafts, you know, their opinions on what the Chiefs should do. And Staggs is the guinea pig on uh, what the Chiefs could do with all of a sudden this abundance of draft capital that we just talked about, they acquired in the Tyree kill trade two picks in each of the first four rounds in this year's draft picks, number 29 and 30 in the first round 50 and 62 in the second round, 94, 103 in the third round, and then 121 and 135 in the fourth round, obviously three seventh round picks to finish it off. But stags, we're not going to go through all seven rounds because that would be that would that would be a little too much. Uh, let's 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 stop at four because I think that's the sweet spot. I think uh, we'll we'll all we'll all know the player you know player names. Our listeners won't be listening to us talk about some some no name you know seventh round pick. But uh, no, uh, this will be fun. Where you, you picked some good players, you picked some great guys, and uh, I don't know. So before we kick this off, what was your thought process going into this draft? Now that that Hill isn't on the team anymore are you trying to get a receiver in the first round are you really are you really thinking you know we need to focus on defense now that that you know they haven't really addressed that what are your what is your thought process before we actually get into the specific picks well just backing up a step even before the Tyreek Hill trade one of the things that I thought the Chiefs should do in the draft and in the the offseason this year is upgrade on a lot of the depth and role players that they've had and so the two, for too long, they've relied on the same familiar faces, the the Dan Sorensons, the Ben Neemans, the Demarcus Robinsons, to take a lot of snaps and to have a significant role without really an effort, an effort to upgrade those spots. So I want to see them in the mid to late rounds uh, really going after upgrades on those particular roles because you know what those roles are. You know what the, they're expected to do. You can find players that can do that, that have a little more upside than the, than the incumbents. Most of those guys so far have not been brought back, which would indicate that the team is trying to upgrade on them. So so I still hope that they're sticking to that strategy. When the, the Tyreek Hill tra- trade was made, 
overnight you've doubled your draft capital. You all of a sudden yeah. have two picks in every um, one of the first four rounds. Uh, and, and that's really where my focus is, those top 135 picks now that the Chiefs have uh, eight different draft picks in that range. That is probably more players than they're going to take into uh, the 53-man the roster next year. So we do expect to see trade-ups, but there's one trade-up I absolutely refuse to acknowledge that I really absolutely do not want to see. Don't package 29 and 30 and move up and get one player out of the deal. Fair. You have a rare opportunity to draft two first-round talent or two first-round players. Yes, it's late in the first round, uh, so you're not maybe getting a, a blue-chip talent there. But you can use a later draft pick and move up in the first, but don't package your two first. Get Walk away day one with two players that can start for this team really early on. So that's where my focus was. I want to upgrade the depth. I want to continue that uh, increasing athleticism and speed uh, for some specific roles. Uh, definitely upgrading the defense overall, using this Hill trade as an opportunity to, to balance out your roster a little bit. And again, I'll entertain trade-ups uh, for the right player, uh, but I'm walking away from the first from the first day with two starters, from the second day you know, with, with a couple of more, hopefully. Uh, and, and really – you know, a trade like this only works if you capitalize on the draft, uh, the draft compensation. The Raiders for years have been making trades like this and then blowing the draft picks, <laughs> and, and then you've got nothing. So that's the worst possible outcome. So it's there is a lot of pressure on the team to, to hit on these draft picks and to, to have really specific guys for really specific roles. Um, I don't think it's going to be a too much of a needs-based draft. I think they'll have some flexibility from a best player available standpoint. And you'll see uh, for this mock, I actually didn't take a wide receiver in the first round. So there's a little spoiler alert. Whoa. You know, so with all of the, the talk of replacing Tyreek Hill, again, you're not going to do it with any one player. Um, they didn't necessarily make a, tr- make a trade to get a first round pick to tr- just to go but get another yeah. wide receiver. Exactly. Uh, there's, this is capital they can use to build a better team. Uh, and this wide receiver class is awesome. Just like the next couple wide receiver classes are going to be great too. This is a trend in college football that the best athletes, the best players are playing wide receiver. And there's a flood of wide receiver talent, which by the way, could partially explain why teams like Kansas city and green Bay are willing to trade away premium wide receivers, knowing that there's a flood of young wide receiver talent out there. So, um, you know, I, I took a chance here and waited on wide receiver. And as you'll see, I still came away with a guy I would have wanted anyway. So I don't know how you, if you want to just jump into this first round. Yeah, no, let me, let me play point guard on this, but first of all, that, that that's something that, that needs to be emphasized more and more is that, you know, we, every year you're going to hear everyone say, this is a great receiver class. Well, it's because there's going to be a, a plethora of receivers every single year because of exactly what you just said. Guys are getting groomed from, you know, middle school to play seven on seven. You know, there's no running backs in seven on seven. There's no linemen in seven on seven. Uh, you know, it, it, there's there, receivers are just, you know, out of this world at this point. And it's just only going to get uh, better and better. So all that to say, you did not take a, a receiver in the first round. Uh, we were no trades in this draft in this draft, obviously. So like you just mentioned, you probably would maybe make some moves, you know, some po- at some points in the draft. I agree with you. 
I would like to see them maybe just use one of the, you know, a later round pick to move up in the first round, but not lose both first round picks. So I, I like that move. But without further ado, number 29, the first pick uh, for the Chiefs in the 2022 NFL draft. You went with one of my favorite players in this year's class, Georgia safety, Lewis Seen. When you pick a safety in the first round after the Chiefs have already invested, uh, you know, in, in signing Justin Reed, they have Juan Thornhill on the roster for another year at least. Uh, they just signed Deion Bush as a guy that can play safety. What was your thought process on taking a safety still in the first round? Well, you know this defense plays multiple safeties, and they do a lot of sub-package work, and it's important to have three really good players back there in those roles. Yeah, the Chiefs signed a, a guy in Bush who's a great special teams player. To me, that's more of a replacement for Armani Watts than it is for any of the safeties ahead of him. So you still need three really good safeties that are going to see the field a lot. And you and I have talked a little bit about Juan Thornhill, and I don't know that the team is 100% banking on him being a star uh, at free safety. I think they would be feel just as comfortable putting somebody above Thornhill and having Thornhill play that third safety role. Yeah. So you bring in a guy like Lewisine who is known to be that field general, that leader of a defense, uh, super intelligent player, but also a big hitter and enforcer and somebody that, that can make plays for you on the back end. Adding a player like that along with Justin Reed, now you've got a versatile athletic starting safety tandem. And then the with Thornhill as your third and Bush as your fourth, all of a sudden you have a totally revamped safety room um, that can go for, you know three deep, four deep if you have to. Um, but seen as a player that and, and you could very easily plug in Daxton Hill here as well. I just think the Chiefs should look for a, a top end talent at each level of the defense. I think they have one at Legarius, with Legarius Sneed. Um, and so I think they need to invest in another top end player on this in this secondary whether it's a safety or a corner or somebody that can play both uh, there's a spot for them yeah scene is a guy that has a lot of experience in the back end of a defense you know playing more uh, deep safety uh, you know free safety kind of position which that's what they've trusted thornhill to do but i don't know how good thornhill is at that skill i mean you see i mentioned it on this podcast too many times probably but him getting burnt by Gabriel Davis over his head for the 75-yard touchdown. I mean, that's that's a bad rep, and that's just something that a good free safety just doesn't – at least he's making the tackle, right? You can't let him score the touchdown. So all that to say, I love the scene pick. I do think it gives you a lot of versatility because I don't think scene – you know, it's not like he can't play closer to the line of scrimmage, but that's just his strengths are, are towards the back, and it allows Reed to play, you know, maybe a little closer in the box because um, he's good at that too, but he's also good at the deep, the deep field stuff. It gives him some versatility. But you mentioned Daxon Hill. If they do want to get a guy that more replicates what Matthew was able to do in terms of being able to play in the slot position and, and actually cover a guy, because I don't think you're gonna you want to ask Justin Reed or Lewisine to really legitimately be man to man in the slot and cover somebody. I think you can ask Daxon Hill to do that to an extent. So that's a thought too. Moving on though, pick thirty. You stay on the defensive side of the ball. Boye Mafe, the very athletic edge rusher from Minnesota. Um, I feel like edge rusher is going to be a position no one's going to argue with taking uh, early, this early. What were your thoughts picking this guy? Yeah, the the athleticism jumps off the screen. You know, when you when you watch Mafe, I think he is somebody that really brings a skill set that this team does not have right now on, on the edge, and and somebody that can that can really win with speed and, and athleticism 
uh, with the bend that he has. He's still 6'4", 261, you know, and he's got he's got good size, but, you know, definitely showed the speed and the explosion in the combine. I think this is a player that um, elevates the, the edge rush, even if they sign an Arden Key and then they retain Frank Clark. This is a, a play towards the future of the of the edge room, the defensive line room, and somebody that they can develop and and can actually be a force for them pretty early on. So, I definitely think they're looking at edge early on, and I think this is a, a almost a dream scenario to get these two, both of these two players at the at the point that they're in because there's a very good chance both of them will be long gone by that point. Yeah, yeah, no, there's a chance. I think Mafe has probably a better chance of making it there. Although I don't know, seeing you know, I, I it's hard to tell safeties at the same time. Safety is kind of a hard position of value, but you're. I'm glad you took edge in the first round. I do think it's it's one of those positions that it's just hard to find truly effective guys after that first round, or after even maybe you know maybe the top of the second round. You really want to take your swings at edge rusher there because other positions you can find more effective players there. So Mafe there at thirty. Let's go to the second round. I'm actually going to go two at a time. And here's where you went wide receiver at pick 50, a guy that is going to be linked to the Chiefs a lot over this next month and a half or so. Christian Watson, the wide receiver from North Dakota State, obviously blew up at the combine. Absolutely absurd numbers for his size at about 6'5", uh, 210, 215. What, were your thought pro- what was your thought process going through picking uh, Christian Watson for the Chiefs? You know, again, when you're building this wide receiver room, there's a hole at number one receiver. And if they're going to draft somebody early, I want it to be a guy that has the potential to be a number one wide receiver in this league. If you told me Christian Watson was the pick at 29 or 30, I wouldn't feel bad about that. To get him at 50 is, again, maybe it's not realistic uh, based on these mock draft simulations that we do. But if he's there at 50, I think it's an awesome fit for the team. I think he's somebody that you can build a wide receiver room around in the future, in the long term. Yeah, he's a small school guy. Maybe it takes him a little bit of time to develop, but all the tools are there. And it seems like the character is there with this guy, that he's the the type of person you want in your locker room. And he has the makeup that you want uh, to be a leader in that room. So I think that's a, a home run of a pick in the second round. You find number one right, wide receivers on day two a lot of times. And if, if he's the guy and they go and get him at, at pick 50, I think you got to feel really good about where that wide receiver room is, even without Tyreek Hill. Yeah, no, I, we talk about basketball lineups for receivers. I mean, you know, this this will be your five. Uh, this will be your, your go-getter, your, your jump ball guy. Uh, no, I he, he could do a lot of different things. It's just his size is very intriguing for how athletic he is. So I love that pick. You went linebacker with the next pick. You know, Chiefs sent, spent their third Chiefs spending their third straight year second round pick, and it's Troy Anderson, the linebacker from Montana State, very athletic, uh, former quarterback, former running back in college, switched to linebacker, and and has, has caught the attention of NFL scouts. What, what where do you see him kind of fitting in uh, the Chiefs, where they already have you know Bolton and Gay ready to go for the starting linebacker roles? Yeah, definitely. You know. It is unusual to spend three straight second round picks on one position. I think that is, uh, it's not something I gave a lot of thought to. What I did think about though was, you know, they lost Anthony Hitchens or they, you know, they let him go. Uh, and then they've let Ben Neiman go, at least so far. Uh, neither of those guys have caught on anywhere else. Does it? So there's, there's a chance they could be back. But if they can draft a guy with this level of athleticism, with just an absolute explosive freak athlete, at the position. Now all of a sudden you have three linebackers that you can put on the field that 
you can do a lot of things with. Obviously, Nick Bolton is the most limited of the three, but he's very good at what he does. You've got Willie Gay and Troy Anderson as more of your run and chase athletic. You know, uh, they can move parallel to the line of scrimmage. They can cover a receiver down down the field. They can cover a, a linebacker. Or I'm sorry, a tight end down the field. <laughs> You've got a linebacker there that you can put on the sub packages. You can play special teams. Maybe you can do some crazy stuff with the Troy Anderson, just given his background, uh, and get really creative with him in this defense. Uh, but he actually has some skill uh, rushing the passer if he needs to. I mean, this is a yeah. guy that you could you could really plug in at that. You know, he could get some Sam some rush Sam reps. Uh, he can get a, some your dime linebacker reps. Uh, he could do a lot of stuff for this defense. I just think again, if you take this opportunity to get more athletic, more speed on that second level. The NFL is is trending in a way that that's going to be important. Um, so so why not? Yeah, we talk about how the NFL. Oh, you know, you're always a nickel, so it's always two linebacker formations. Well, if you're the Chiefs, you're in dime a lot too. And for you know, in Spags's you know track record with the Chiefs, he's always had a separate linebacker be that dime linebacker, not one of the starting guys. And you know, it's a f- important role. I mean, it's why we all get upset with Ben Neiman. It's because he's always on the field because the dime p- package is used quite a bit by by uh, Spags. So good to see Troy Anderson. I do think he he he'd be a really intriguing uh you know uh, fit in that dime position. They they I can't remember the linebacker's name they had from Carolina that they also had in a visit. We probably should have mentioned him earlier too. But it does seem like they're they're doing their due diligence on finding another linebacker to fill that room. But moving on to the third round, and, and this is another guy that's really intriguing, a guy that everyone needs to be aware of um, on day two because there's going to be some reasons why he's not going to go on day one, but he might have the talent to go on day one. That's Sam Williams, the edge rusher from Ole Miss. You're doubling up on edge here. This is the the second edge you've picked, Boy Amafe, now Sam Williams. How are you feeling about um, you know how the, the, edge, the edge position is rounding out, I guess, for the Chiefs? Yeah, I, I think I'm very intentional about doubling up on edge here. I think you can double up on a lot of positions in this draft uh, for this team. They don't need everything, but the positions they need, they may need more than one body there, and you can't you can't miss on that position entirely. So if you have two swings at it, two early picks at edge, now you've got two opportunities to hit. Um, one or both of them, do, you know, pan out, then your your edge room's in good shape going forward. If you think about the defensive line, I mean, everybody's focused on Frank Clark, but the little Alex Okafor walk, you've got Melvin Ingram who's out there who may or may not re-sign. Uh, they've got a, a couple of spots available there for edge players and really not a lot in-house to work with. You've got uh, Mike Dana, who's, who's a limited player, but but he's been solid in, in what he does. You'll continue to use him in a very limited role. We have no idea where we're at with Josh Kando, but uh, yeah. hopefully he develops – um, so why not double up? And, and Sam Williams is one of those first round talents that that's going to go later because of other issues uh, that we don't have to get into. But the Chiefs have shown that they're fa- fairly comfortable with off field issues uh, as long as they do their due diligence. Then you know you bring in a talented player here in the third round. Uh, you can plug him into your uh, into your edge room, and, and you've got something there for the future. And so uh, I think he's a, a very calculated risk at that point and, and one that I think most Chiefs fans should be excited to see them take. Yeah, and, and you say, you know, you talk about the existing edge room, kind of what they're missing. It it really is kind of just that that juice off the edge, an actual, you know, legitimate 
edge rusher. I mean, Dana is, is a very solid player, but he doesn't have that juice. Frank Clark, it, it seems that some at some times he really shows it, but just not consistently enough. Uh, taking swings at Moffitt and Sam Williams, you're, you're swinging at, at, at traits. I think Sam Williams actually may be a, a, a you know a better pure pass rusher than than Moffitt, but I do think Moffitt might just you know have a bit a bit higher ceiling to you know with his athletic profile. So I I really like Sam Williams. He's going to be a guy that I'm going to be picking a lot in mock drafts. But with the second third round pick in this in the in your mock draft, you went with cornerback here and a guy that I've watched. A little bit of, and I, I would like, I would really like at this value here at the, you know, uh, late in the third round with one of the comp picks, Martin Emerson, the cornerback from Mississippi State. We're picking cornerback for the first time here. Second time we're addressing the the defensive secondary. Um, Emerson definitely projects as an outside cornerback. He's a bigger guy, has a you know a, a a big physique. When you're picking him, what does that do for the the Chiefs defense? How do you see him kind of uh, affecting the the secondary? So again, this is another position group where they lost more than one player and all of a sudden now they've got to make more than one addition and they haven't done anything yet really to note. Uh, they, they did sign one cornerback um, that has a, a theoretical high ceiling because he's got a good athletic uh, profile in, in Luke Barku, but mm-hmm. there's, and they're interested in Stefan Gilmore, which, which shows that they're looking for a top end corner, uh, a veteran to help lead that room. So I th- I've got him doubling up on corner here on, on day two. And Emerson fits that physical profile that I think Spagnolo likes. Uh, you, you see a little bit of uh, the Charvarius Ward type in Emerson, the fact that he's a sound tackler, uh, physical player, maybe arguably too physical at some points, uh, might draw a flag or two here and there. But that is the Spagnolo corner. Uh, and, and so getting uh, a couple of those guys in this draft, I think, is important. We'd all like to see it happen early or with a big name uh, addition to that secondary, somebody that they can call a shutdown corner. I don't know if he's that, um, but he definitely would slide right into this defense from a, a physical standpoint from what you've seen on film. He really feels like a chief's corner. Uh, and I think he, I think he'd be a great fit at this point and, and somebody um, that, like you said, would be a nice value in the third round. No, I'm 100% with you. He is a Chiefs corner. It's why he'd be a good value here because I don't think other teams would value him the same way, and that is why he drops to this point because I do think he has some talent. You watch him against Alabama last year. He he held his own, man. He really did, whether it was running with him or just breaking up you know, contested catches. I do like his skill set. And, you know, this is where we can kind of, you know, look at other picks and how they relate. You know, picking a guy like Scene and having, you know, both a Scene and a Reed in the secondary where they can really cover ground and help these corners, which is why the Chiefs, I think, have, have felt comfortable not investing as, as much in cornerback. I think Emerson's that perfect example of if, if you can give him some safety help so he's he's never just on an island necessarily and, and you can always kind of play that underneath coverage, kind of that trail position, he's going to be a really good player for you. So I, I'm excited about that potential pick. I would be a, a big fan of that one. But now we got two fourth round picks and and we're wrapping up here with, a, you know, a, a, I'd like to see people's opinion on taking a running back in the fourth round here. Pick 121. You went Jerome Ford, the running back from Cincinnati. What is your thought process behind picking a running back uh, here, uh, you know, in the fourth round? Well, with, with all of these uh, picks, we have to make some assumptions on what they're going to do between now and the time of the draft. Yes. My assumption here is that they add one more running back back to the room. Uh, so they have three backs on the roster, CEH, uh, 
Uh, you've got Derek Gore, and then maybe it's either Ronald Jones or Derek uh, uh, Williams, uh, Daryl Williams, excuse me, or you know maybe it's Jarek McKinnon. It's one of those two guys. So my assumption is that there's still a fourth running back spot open. Um, and with 12 picks in this draft, which, again, none of us expect them to walk away with 12 players. But with 12 picks in this draft, you can afford to to add to the running back room maybe earlier than you would have otherwise. Yep. Maybe if they hadn't made this trade, running back would have been a late round or an undrafted free agent type uh, pick. Uh, for me, in, in this particular draft, there's a couple of running backs I really like in this range. Uh, Jerome Ford being one of them. I think he just looks like an NFL back when you watch him. He's got some explosion to him, good contact balance. He's a physical player. I think he can do a lot of the things. You can just see him, uh, you know, translating to the NFL in in a good way. And I think he he really rounds out that room pretty nicely with somebody who has a has a bright future ahead of him. So uh, again, the Tyreek Hill trade maybe changed my philosophy on this just a little bit. I'm not a big invest early in running backs uh, guy, and I'm a big Clyde Edwards-Hilaire fan, uh, but I do think Ford uh, brings a nice uh, explosive element to this uh, to this room. If they're going to draft a running back, I want it to be somebody that can hit a home run. I think yes. Ford is one of those guys. Um, I'm not looking for a big bruiser back or a short yardage guy or a between-the-tackles player. Ford, I think, is a pretty well-rounded back, but him or Cook uh, or a, a White from Arizona State You've got some running backs there that can hit a home run. Uh, they can take a, a, a small crease and then make it into a big gain. And that's what you need out of this running back room more than anything else. Yeah, it, it was definitely missing last year. It la- it lacked for sure. I think McKinnon gave you a little bit of that towards the end of the year. But, you know, we, we you say, you know, we, it's kind of natural to just be like, okay, we shouldn't invest a lot in running back. There's no reason to. You can find running backs later, blah, blah, blah. But we saw last year that you know we we could use a little bit more of a of a step up and and running back and maybe for you know as good as I I do think Edward Tiller could still be a, a very good back for this team, it's just not in the way that we we would like a back to be and and the Ford maybe has that explosiveness that could complement what Edward Tiller does um, on an early down basis or just you know in a primary role. So I like the justification with this last pick in the fourth round though. You went another Cincinnati player, doubled up on corner here, Emerson first, and now Kobe Bryant. Great name, by the way, Kobe Bryant, but uh, the cornerback from Cincinnati. So this is the third member of the secondary in these first four rounds. So the secondary is getting added to, um, do you like Kobe Bryant himself or just what was your thought process on on doubling up on corner here in the in the later rounds or in the mid rounds? Well, obviously you can, you can never have too many cornerbacks. And I think if you invest – an early pick, a day one pick, a day two pick on a corner, uh, then maybe as it, that need can drop down a little bit. But to me, the in this scenario, the Chiefs waited uh, until pick 103 to go corner. Uh, and so adding another mid-round corner, uh, you're getting two guys that are probably on, on a similar level uh, when it comes to their, their scouting report. Um, both of them had the ability to be an outside corner. Uh, I think maybe Bryant can play uh, inside a little bit if you needed him to. Um, so you've got a couple of players there that you can add to the room to develop. Again, it's a very thin room at this point uh, with uh, DeAndre Baker returning, but Hughes and Ward moving on. Uh, they need bodies there. And I think this, uh, again, another physical player, um, you know, four five forty, not not a, a blazing athlete, but – I think he's a good enough athlete and a strong enough player that uh, that he can fit the mold. 
Yeah, that was that was just your dogs agreeing with with a great take. Uh, no, I, I I do think Kobe Bryant. Um, this is good value for him. We've talked about him, you know, even earlier than this on the AP draft room. So getting him in the fourth round would definitely be a good good option. It would round out your cornerback room. I think having Emerson Bryant, Rashad Fenton, Lajarius Sneed. I, I I like that group right there. And then obviously there could be more in free agency coming. But with the last three picks, the thirty seventh rounders, you took Verdarian Low, the uh, offensive tackle from Illinois. Obviously, he's been linked to the Chiefs, um, you know, with reports uh, they met at the Combine, that kind of thing. And then two defensive tackles, Neil Farrell Jr., the defensive tackle from LSU, and then Eric Johnson from Missouri State, the local kid. So you rounded out with some trench help towards the end, which is good. But, yeah, some parting thoughts on on your mock stags. You feeling good about, you know, the 2022 Chiefs or the future of the Chiefs with this, with your GM Hall or uh, – you know, uh, any any uh, regrets you have in this mock draft here? Well, I, I, again, it's a ridiculous haul because they're they're not going to draft 12 players in, yes, and because yes. they're not going to carry 12 rookies on the 53-man roster probably even next year. Uh, and there's always an undrafted free agent or two that slips in. So um, so when you look at this draft, again, I, I did add it to the trenches towards the end. Um, I think every year you have to draft offensive linemen, Um and you probably should take a defensive lineman or two, um, but you don't have to take your interior defensive lineman as early unless you get an elite guy. Uh, you know, uh, you, if you if I were to do something differently, um, you know, maybe if you're going to do a trade up, if you're going to invest early in defensive line, if you could get one of the Georgia defensive linemen, for example, uh, with a trade up. Uh, I'd be pretty happy with with going that route with a Walker or a, a Davis um, if they use one first round pick plus a later round pick and we're able to move up enough to grab one of those guys. I think you feel good about investing early in that position. In this scenario, I went with them late just to build some depth and develop for the future. Um, but that's something that you know if you get a premier talent, you feel good about it. That's why a lot of people are talking about the Chiefs wanting to trade up because there's so many picks. And because they pick so late in the first round, still there's room there for them to move up for a more of a premier talent as opposed to uh, a quantity of players. Because you know it'll be tough for them to have all of these guys make the roster. But my focus has really been on roster building and on positions. So I like the positions they addressed here. You can shuffle the order. You can argue about the players themselves. But I think they're going to go heavy at edge. They're going to add some secondary help, and you know they're going to get a wide receiver. And I think it's going to be a guy who they believe is going to be a number one wide receiver sooner rather than later. So uh, those elements, I think we can feel comfortable about the details. I'm sure we'll change our mind every time we do a mock draft or have a, have a mock draft podcast, right? Yeah. I can, I, I have to imagine this won't be your finalized mock draft on April uh, 28th, but uh, yeah, no good stuff. Stags. No, I, I, I agree with you. I think, I think you did a good job addressing the trenches in terms of edge rusher, um, but also, you know, you got to take some offensive linemen. You double up on defensive tackle late. I, I like the draft. I like it. You took my guy, Lewis Seen. I'm going to have a player profile written up on him soon. So, you know, I like him. And so, yeah, that's where we'll end it today, guys. Appreciate everyone listening. Keep tuned in. We're going to we're gonna really hit the draft hard. I mean, this, this was a great, uh, you know, jumping off point from free agency. You know, I, I got so swept up in free agency, but it is draft season. And, th- and that's the most fun part about this whole process. And that's one thing, guys. The 2022 draft all of a sudden become a, became very important for the Chiefs. And we're going to be here covering it for you. So, Stags, appreciate you joining me today. 
Um, for everyone else, just make sure you tune into the AP Draft Room on Sunday. We'll have the AP Editor Show next week as well. And keep tuned in. Keep tuned into the site, and we will catch you next time. Thank you very much.